Hello and welcome to uh, Euro 2016 and the Irishman's Guide. Uh, you're joined by myself, Gavin White, and um, Paul Curran and Owen Monaghan Hello. for the first, first episode of what hopefully will be an exciting journey into Euro 2016 in France, which is still only then 26 weeks away. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And um, hopefully we'll be you know, singing our praises at the end of July, but we, you know, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, Good build-up. Um, yeah, so a brief introduction. Um, we have Paul Curran, who at the moment is doing a, a paper on the relationship between Albert Camus and uh, football, I believe. Yeah, it sounds and is probably the most pretentious thing I'll ever be involved in. So, uh, <laughs> now, but you'll see when the paper comes out, the yeah, correlations yeah, between yeah, the yeah. two, don't you? Robert. <laughs> yeah, and I'm on in the, the biggest Arsenal fan I think I've ever met in this land, and he, in theory knows everything that there is to know about Olivier Giroud. <laughs> There's not much to know in this. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good episode to be involved in. Yeah, I know, I think yeah. so. I think so. No, <laughs> my, yeah, my football credentials are essentially from the armchair yeah. <laughs> completely, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I think it's going to be good. I know a lot about uh, travelling. That'll do. That's true. <laughs> a, a brief rundown on how the episodes are going to work. So we're going to have a couple of segments. The first segment is going to be two nations that are going to be participating in the Euro. So we're going to go group by group. So we're starting off with Group A tonight, and we have uh, France and Albania, mm. two mm. wonderful countries with different, very different histories in terms of <laughs> European football, as we will find yeah. out. And uh, then we'll, uh, we'll also have a segment on... Uh, a guide for Irish people going around France and going to how we're going to get get there and going to have a good time and what we're going to drink there and you know that that sort of carry on and then we're going to have uh, a profile on the city as well so tonight we're going to do Paris where it's where else better to start than the main city itself and then we'll have some music as well a lot of con- fr- French contemporary music chosen by certain artists around Ireland so as we get straight back into it then we mentioned Olivier Giroud there briefly oh Jesus um, right straight into this is it <laughs> yeah right. well France have been given already the the, the favourite tag for the Euros yeah. um, I would tend to agree with them would you have any particular but I think off the back of the fact that okay they're at home um, that's one thing they've kind of gotten over the the bullshit they went through with the likes of kind of like Samir Nasri and stuff and not as an Arsenal fan like just he caused havoc in that team a few years back and there was this real kind of disparity, almost like the the Netherlands in in kind of the early two thousands. That and now, yeah, and now to be yeah, honest, yeah. yeah. But like the players just don't, they didn't like each other at all. They yeah. just didn't, you know. There was huge falls out. Now that said, you know Matthew Valbuena, Matthew Valbuena, and and Karim <laughs> Benzema. But Benzema mightn't make it to the tournament because he might be in fucking jail. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But no, like to to talk about like the French team, like Olivier Giroud. Like uh, I think back to front, like they've got potentially one of the best midfields in the world. Um, Do you think so? I, I was having this discussion there, oh, Paul. Like, I, I think there's a couple of weak, spo- weak spots there. Well, I, I think like the depending because their forwards are so strong in, in terms of they've got like at least six players who can play across the front line, which yeah. are, like the likes of Antoine Griezmann, um, Benzema, Giroud. Um, like sure they're, they're probably utilize Martial Wood now as well. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, he's absolutely an option, and like he's probably better through the middle. But when you've got kind of you know Giroud and Benzema ahead of you, like mm. I mean, just play him. He's good. But I think the link, like Paul Pogba's a beast, obviously. But the link between midfield and for, or sorry, defense and forward is going to be so key for them. And I think they almost have that with the midfielders they have. Like I, Mavuba is an extremely good footballer, mm. and he's that classic kind of like McAlady mold, but has an attacking game as well. He's really impressive. But I think Giroud is <laughs> the kind of player that uh, he will likely get top goal scorer and miss the penalty to win the final. You know, so I mean, you're putting uh, France not going to win it because of Olivier Giroud. I, I, I don't <laughs> think France are going to win it because the French are French. Okay, that I think there, there's 
there's teams that in in recent tournaments certainly I don't think there's there's a kind of like um, an an attitude of, or a kind of a culture of winning anymore within French players. Um, I can't think of many French players lately that have have really well, grabbed yeah. fucking tournaments or games. You know, yeah, you look at the likes of Patrice Evra. He's like, I think yeah. the one thing that strikes me about this particular squad is the fact that there is an extreme balance between youth and, you know, you have Martial, you have, you know, the likes of Kachelny at the back who's, you know, coming like, I didn't realise he's 31 now. It's yeah, mental. Yeah. And then you have every who's 33 and then Lloris is really old as well. So, you know, you have that old banking and then you have... Do you, you not know, think that that's perhaps the issue though? I yeah. was looking at the squad and there seems to be players 22 and downwards and players 30 and upwards. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of mix between the two, especially when you look yeah, at the... Yeah, but then you have Paul Pogba during the middle. You do, and you've got... Early 20s, and he will be... Uh, like Varane also yeah. 22, yeah, and exactly. very good. sick old yeah. man. Yeah. He's so fucking good. But this was something that I said to, to Gav earlier, is that we think they're going to have a serious problem at fullback. Uh, Sagan's yeah. having Sagan one is of the seasons. Yeah, but... Apart from that, Tabushi? I mean, the, the, yeah. <laughs> well, where's Tabushi where being linked to now? He's, he's, he's got to touch of the Daniel Surridge's about Aston you know? Villa. Well, Tabushi has been yeah. linked to Aston Villa. That's how like <laughs> he's 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 thirty as well, and he's he's sort of like he signed for Arsenal, thinking, okay, I've got three years sewn up at right back. I'm going to be the the French national right back at Euro 2012 or sorry 2012, Jesus, uh, 2016 at least, and then all of a sudden Bellerin turns up. <laughs> Where's Bellerin from, actually? He's Spanish. He's Spanish. Yeah, oh, he's, yeah, he's yeah, Barcelona, yeah. he's La Masia, um, oh, okay, born and yeah. red kind of thing. Of but this is the thing that, like, yeah, the fullbacks are weird because I think they're going to play this defensive role and because their wingers are so strong that yeah. it's like they almost don't need their fucking fullbacks, like, you know, moving going on past them, that the likes of Griezmann and stuff are just going to be tearing fucking defences apart. But it's, do you not think that that's where the issue comes in and mm. you know, whether or not Benzema is going to be available or not? Is it's going to bring a massive issue where they're going to play two at one up top, and that's going to play havoc with the the wingers. I mean, can, can yeah. we briefly touch on the whole Matthew Valbuena Benzema issue yeah. I, for people who haven't heard it? I think they've touched enough themselves. But yeah. let's, let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, there, there's been this controversy over Matthew Valbuena and Karen uh, Benzema. So Valbuena has been, you know, he, he got a bit. Risky one night. Mm. Uh, I'd actually love to see the video because basically he's on. Would you yeah, really? Do <laughs> you not want to see that? Purely, shit? I want to see a foot. Purely because he's a, mountain a model. Like, yeah, exactly. The model's probably that. six foot three, like, and he's like the smallest man I've ever come across in my life. So essentially, he, you know, he, he has a sex tape that's going around, and essentially it is going around because of Karen Benzema. And then after this, about a week later after this all came out, he then got linked up with the cocaine. Yeah, plane mm, going yeah. across to South America. I think what the story is, Benzema had a, a, a history and a, a use to where he got brought up into bad people, mm. but he's just too he's, sound. I think he's Marseille. He grew yeah, up in Marseille, yeah. which is, is a dodgy fucking place. It man. is, but, you know, he's sound enough to, like, he wants to keep on to his mate, so he's just trying to be sound, that's all. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it's interesting because, like, as you say, I mean, them getting on on the pitch is different to yeah. getting on in real life. And Valbain has come out and said, look, I'm, I'm not, I have no problem playing with these people. If, if, if we're going to win the European Championship, it doesn't matter, you know. Mm. We'll fucking have a scrap in the hotel afterwards. It's fine. But, like, it's, it's a weird thing. That, in a weird way, it could help as well, couldn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, that, all that, that energy. Yeah, well, yeah. you see, the thing is, I don't really see a place in that squad for Valbain anymore. What is he, 32? That's yeah, a good point. He's not yeah, playing yeah. the best football of his life and... 
I think France are pretty enriched on the wings. If you, if you and look Benzema at the, would certainly get into the squad. If they're so playing a four-two-three-one, you have the top three. Then you know behind Giroud or Benzema, mm. um, you'd have Pogba, Griezmann, maybe Martial. Well, would you, know? would you have um, you know the the quiet receding altar boy that is Hatem Benarfa? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I believe you're What's a fan. Say, Paul? Yeah, what is it? Nine or ten late goals a season. Yeah. He's playing for Nice this season. Yeah. He's playing for Nice. Yeah, I yeah. know, but yeah, I, I'm personally a fan. I think the yeah. you saw him at Newcastle. He is capable of he's absolute very, magic. Very I think he'd be. I know it's the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be. He is going to be my tip for shot player of the tournament. If, oh, really? if they put him in the if they put him in the squad first of all, because he might not get in the squad. As we yeah, said, they're very yeah. enriched on the wings. But if he can get under the pitch, I think he's going to do some so very good that's, things. That's uh, right, yeah. A highly confident Ben Affleck is one of the better wingers you're going to see in Europe. I think, I, so. I, I think Newcastle fans would agree, and I think anyone yeah. who's ever like well, Newcastle had, fans agree with you know head button horses. So, no. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he is he's 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 that classic French winger. He's like Lauren Robert, funnily enough, of Newcastle past too. That like yeah, yeah. when he is he actually on, looks a bit he like is, him. Oh no, he does. He, yeah. yeah, he really reminds me of him. He's got a wicked left foot, but. The, your your other options are essentially kind of like Kingsley Coman, who looks like he will be an absolute phenomenon. Yeah, but can but you imagine 19? having a player who's coming up through Bayern Munich's ranks? Yeah, he's playing no, he was for Juve. Bayern. He only signed this summer. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, it's like at, at oh, this sorry, current yeah, moment, okay. you know, he's he's breaking himself into the Bayern Munich first team, mm. essentially the best team in Europe behind Barcelona. Well, level maybe we'll see in June or Absolutely, May when they yeah. play each other in the Champions League final. Hopefully, um, I'll tell you in three weeks ago, Barca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but can you imagine having a player like that and, and like we're not even discussing being starting? Like, I mean, yeah. that's how strong this this French team is. I think the biggest issue for France now might be the fact that this whole tournament will be played in the backdrop of you know November thirteenth, mm. the attacks there in Charlie Hebdo, and I think a huge thing will be whether the country will be majorly behind them because of it or at the moment there, there is the political situation where the, the, the right is becoming more and more active and becoming more and more important mm. and they, you had the situation in 98 when they won the World Cup and you know, Le, Le Pen came out and he said this France didn't win the World Cup a team of immigrants did Yeah, and it would be interesting to see how far France has come as a nation in in retrospect of a couple of attacks like these and how... Because uh, if you look at the, the starting 11, what could be a starting 11, you know, there is a lot, a lot of... Oh, absolutely. This is not nearly as, as, as white as France has been. And I think that's mm. a really important point that um, what France has been through... Absolutely. I mean, like the, the French, they're they're amazing protesters. They're you know they band together when they have they to. They're really protesting they and they do it well. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that's a really really good point. And I mean, just looking at the kind of like the ages, as you say, of, of these players. When France won the World Cup in 1998, Kingsley Coman was two years old. Oh God, right? Wow. That's terrifying. <laughs> I was nine. That's yeah, that's terrifying. Like I think what 98, I was 13. That was like prime. Mm. Like watching of the, you know, I was like getting massively, massively into it. Like Martial was three, you know. I mean, this yeah. thing, like, they, it's almost they didn't grow up watching these legends. They grew up watching the failures. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be really, really key as well. Yeah, yeah they, they their youth was in two thousand and two, yeah. and they had the collapse. Yeah. In there. Exactly, and, yeah. they, and they will see this as an opportunity to, because yeah. if, if France win this European Championship, it will be a major, major stepping down for, for them to be, you know. Can, can I just make a point as well that? Uh, Given the aftermath of the, the bombings and those disasters, um, the only game that they had was the 2-0 defeat to England. So it's yeah. very difficult to tell. Mm. I, obviously, Wenger spoke at length about how shook Koscielny was and you yeah. could see physically on the faces of a lot of the players. So it's very difficult to tell. I think they've got friendlies against Holland and Russia coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Those would be very telling in yeah. the mentality of the players. 
with it being in France this summer, I think uh, there'll be some very um, interesting kind of things off the pitch going on as well. So mm. um, it'll be very interesting to see how the French players react and to that. In terms of the draw as well, they, they've got, without doubt, the best draw possible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, not only in terms of what the group they're in, but in terms of... Well, actually, if Ireland... First mention of them in the pocket. If, if Ireland <laughs> somehow managed to get out of the group, take and long. even if they finish second or third, there's a high likely chance that they will be playing France in the last 16 or quarterfinals. And that well, will be we have the <laughs> ultimate revenge in the history yeah. of revenge. In I was going to say, we have, we have previous with them. Uh, we, we, do, we, we do have previous. <laughs> As we mentioned that briefly, and this we promise will be the only time we ever mention this, because I, I, I don't. But the name of the, the, the European Cup. The, the name of the European Championship mm. is... The Henri Dallouin. No, Dalloni. Henri Dalloni. Yeah. Henry Delaney, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the two biggest crooks yeah. that ever happened to Irish football. <laughs> Thierry Henry and John Delaney. Yeah. It's a combination of the fucking two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, they've, they've got a good draw. Um, and that's to be expected. You know, they're, they're all like a given group A. There, there is this whole thing that was mentioned before the draw was made that you know if you're if you're drawn in Group B, you're going to have a more statistically mm. difficult chance of getting um, through and getting out of the group because you you're going to be facing um, the host essentially. That, essentially, the host or you're always going to be fa- fa- facing a, a winner in the group. Yeah. Um, so you know, they, 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 France, for people who don't know, have a group of uh, Switzerland, Albania, and Romania. Mm. Um, it's a pretty handy group for France, I think. I think so, man. It's, um, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about uh, Albania really soon, but um, and we'll talk about the Swiss and, and everything next and Romania next week or the next time. But at the same time, it's it's looking pretty good. If, if, if France can get their shit together and just mm. work out a system in those two friendies that you mentioned, and I mean the likes of like Lacazette and Neville yeah, Fakir, yeah. and like there's players also playing for moves this summer, which I think is really key. That like people like Lacazette are essentially like he's kind of wasted a Leon. Leon are not doing very well. He's essentially playing for his twenty-five to thirty million pound move. Yeah. Um, so he's going to be on show. Yeah, I think the major issue here as well is that the Deschamps is the manager, and he was the mm. captain in the '98 success. Yeah, yeah. and as well, France have won the, Euro- the European Championship 1984, mm. 2000, which is 16 years later, and 16 <laughs> years later after 2000 is Jesus. Yeah. Oof, narrative, yeah, narrative, narrative. narrative, right. narrative and that narrative yeah. there, absolutely. We, we, narrative. we, we can move on to our, our next, <laughs> more puzzling team, uh, mm. making their, their their debut in European championships, um, and, and not their debut in terms of controversy in terms of European football, <laughs> even in terms of country or club. But Albania will be joining the, the European ranks for the first time. Um, I think it's remarkable if you if you look back over the the last like twenty since their existence their their position in groups in terms of World Cup qualifying in terms of European Championship qualifying they've always finished fifth they always finished sixth second last last in mediocre groups or hard groups wherever you want to call it but they always finished as the the Luxembourg or you know the Armenia I had a look through this and I think their only win uh, major win previous to the the World Cup qualifying uh, three years ago whatever was uh, over Greece um, in the it would have been Euro 2012 qualifying they beat Greece they yeah. got three points and that was it well that's and a sign before coming yeah, on to this exactly mm. so I think they've, they've always been the also-rans and now that they've, they've opened this tournament up so much and whatever um, they've, they've one player essentially who's kind of you know the the, the name in the team which is Lorexana mm. but they've, they've been absolutely nobodies and all of a sudden they get put in a group that the big teams started failing and they took their chance 
They well, do I, take I, 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 have, I do have a slight issue with that. I know mm. both is are slightly optimistic about Albania, but in the last four games, well, the qualifiers, yeah, but <laughs> well, I'm just in the last optimistic four, for you know the the, the, the romance of it all. Mm. Yeah, but in, in the last four games in the qualifiers, they they beat Armenia in the last game three 0 but yeah. they didn't register a win in the last four, and they did get three points from the controversial game that they were awarded 3-0 in which they played terribly in yeah but it was a beautiful and, night Gav just to add to it <laughs> they did they did only finish two points ahead of Denmark yeah and yeah, yeah. 1-0 on the opening night against Portugal fair enough was a great result but on another yeah, night that, that, that wouldn't have happened results, yeah. and let's, yeah. let's they not, did only finish two points ahead of Denmark and I don't let's think not we should take away that. from the fact that when Nicholas Bentner is your centre forward you're not going to do okay <laughs> um, that's just a fact <laughs> like, unless um, he's petty power jocks on because yeah. if that's the case Casey Mucha's next to go. You never know. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, Portugal were rubbish. Denmark were rubbish. And someone had to step up and take that place. You know, and I'm, I'm delighted someone did. I, 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 think, I think it's great to have Albania as well. Because I, I, I genuinely think that, you know, people say that in, enhancing the, or developing the European Championship up to 24 countries is a bad thing. That the quality is going to get a little bit worse. I, I, I don't buy into that at all. I, I look at, you know, Ireland qualifying for the first qual- championship in 1988. Mm. And we were a revelation in that tournament, not only because we beat England, <laughs> but because we Which brought we'll, we'll, our we'll fans. We will mention that every single week, <laughs> yeah, yeah. by the way. <laughs> uh, but because we brought our fans and our, our population to, you know, in new culture and you know, let them experience our culture, which is great. And look how much of this has gone on, you know, mm. 275,000 people are after yeah. applying for tickets there for this European Championship. And now you have Albania qualifying and their fans are brilliant. Mm. They are absolutely amazing um, like they, they, they provide a beautiful visual support very loud obviously very fanatic um, and you know they're going to bring something new to this tournament and I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day the result is going to be a result but we're experiencing a new culture we're here sitting here talking about Albania culture where we haven't really talked about it before so mm. this is what the, the idea behind it is they do have a couple of sneaky little players like they have yeah. uh, a Minaj, uh, no, no, no relation to Nicky. No, um, Ray, Ray Minaj, who currently plays for Inter Milan, he's, he's an 18 year old. He could be, you know, a, a, a fella who's going to break onto the scene here briefly. Like, uh, his, his first match for Albania was uh, against against Kosovo, who were, you know, was also their first match in international football, which is a story upon itself. But he scored within 12 seconds of coming on the pitch. Yeah, it's amazing. So, you know... And the link the link to that Albania and, and the Balkans generally have to Italy has been huge in that, mm. like, since the kind of the breakup of the Balkans back in 98, when Yugoslavia, like, traditionally, like, all the Yugoslavian players, like Sinis Mihailovic and, like, all, uh, Mijadovic and all these players, mm. they were always, like, linked to Italy. And... Now all the Albanian footballs, in the same uh, same way that Irish footballers go to the UK to play, they're becoming better and better in all of these countries because they're playing with good teams. Like they're coming through at Inter, they're coming through yeah, at Lazio, yeah. you know, yeah, they're coming yeah. through at Brescia. Like you know, they're they're doing really, really, really good things for for the football, like the the, the grassroots mm. in Albania, which is wonderful. The one thing I found interesting about their draw though was the fact that if all the draws, ironically, at the end of the day. They got they got France, they got Switzerland, and they got Romania. This probably would have been the draw over the, their recent history or their history since they became into football being that they actually would have been okay with it because mm-hmm. they have this history of turning down. Yeah, yeah. You know, basically, this, the story is ever since the sixties when the clubs like Dynamo Tirana got involved in European competition, they basically just picked and choose who they wanted to play. So there's lots of cases where they're drawn against a German club or a Norwegian club, and they just said not into that. 
absolutely yeah. not into that. And then UEFA they got banned from UEFA for a year. They got fined by from UEFA for a year. They also, whenever they did pl- manage to find a team that they wanted to play, like some team from Portugal, they found them a bit sound. They were only allowed. <laughs> they, they, they would actually apply for three teams, but then you'd only actually send one team. I, I think th- I read that they never once played. They never once had two away teams in Europe at the same time ever because there wasn't enough secret police 100% that's true isn't it it's amazing there there had to be an allocation of secret police that went with the (laughs) Albanian uh, footballers yeah Yeah, and then there was trouble for the the, the likes of other European nations coming into Albania Mm. so you have the likes of Celta coming in to play Tirana during the the 1960s and uh, Celtic's right back Lishy was probably just he's played in the old firm games for all his career and he said this is the most terrible Terrifying experience he ever came across. Yeah. He, he, he just because he wore a beard, you're not allowed <laughs> to wear beards in Albania. Apparently, a, fr- a friend of mine, his parents went on a honeymoon to Albania in the eighties because you know it's the place to be, really, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> upon arriving, he had to take the beard off. So, she was a bit disappointed, yeah, because yeah, that's why she married him essentially. But yeah, that, that, that's about it. Really. His his name was Danny McGrain. Danny McGrain. Danny yeah, McGrain. Yeah, and he uh, when they were they're going over, um, he had this sort of like he was this cult footballer and he had this massive massive beard check out a picture of him in sprint and he had this big beard and everyone loved him and all the rest and he said in when he was going to albania that they, they had banned beards and he said like he would have shaved his beard off like because yeah, yeah, he yeah. feared for his life which is just nuts like that's turkmenistan <laughs> like, that there, was, there, was, there like, was a case where an ajax player in the 80s went to play away and he actually did have to sh- shave his, his beard wow. off do you not recall so, the, the, cha- the, the chairman of the turkish uh, of the Tur- one of the club teams in turkey uh posed a real it was only two or three years ago really yeah um no facial hair his club and ironically he had a mustache himself <laughs> but he oh, said it, yeah he said it was a bad uh, bad influence on the youth and, uh, <laughs> yeah is uh, slavon bilic was actually when slavon bilic was bearded yeah, was actually yeah, yeah, the yeah. the main target of his of his anger yeah that's, that's, i just want to point out that celtic lost that game by the way yeah well um, the, the is, i was yeah. looking at things linfield went away there lost as well <laughs> kilmarnock went away there lost as well maybe picking shows in their matches yeah. is a good play yeah no, yeah yeah so maybe they, they're all right with the strokes they think they're actually gonna have yeah, when they, when they here, Benzema and Valbuena had all that. They were like, Oof. "Great, I reckon, I reckon we could have this." <laughs> I, 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 I looked at the fixture list. They, they started off against Switzerland um, in Lens on the, the 11th of June. You know, they're not playing France in their first game, which I think can psychologically be beneficial. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Even, if, even if they got a draw against Switzerland, they might have a. They'll get their know, feet in the tournament. They'll get their feet with and the fans impo- and everything. It's most good. importantly, their last game is against Romania in Lyon on the 19th of June. Mm. That's a very winnable game. Can yeah. I just can I just point out as well though I, I feel like I'm already taking on the role of the pessimist on this podcast, <laughs> but, but they don't currently have a, a centre forward available to them yeah. that has scored any more than two international goals. Okay. I think that's going to be a massive problem yeah, because they all, played very defensively during throughout the qualification, mm. and I I personally don't see them registering any more than a point. Right. Well, you did be greasing a friendly recently, yeah. I think though. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so you're you're a naysayer. They're not going to get out of the group. Uh, I'm personally saying they're not going to register more than one point. This might be point. five months away, but you know they aren't going to register more than one point, in my opinion. Oh. I don't know about more than one shot. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think I think the Swiss. This is like a home tournament for the Swiss. Uh, I think the, the Swiss probably have this. Okay, possibly. I'm going to go against the two years. Romania. Albania are going to yeah yeah uh, Romania we'll Romantic talk about them on the next okay, podcast yeah, but yeah, yeah they're absolute minnows yeah um, <laughs> and, and, and on that note um, we'll we'll move on to our first track um, mm. we're, we're going to play a track called uh, Garde pour toi by uh, Paradis who are a new French band over the last couple of years they just released their first album and um, yeah I hope, hope you enjoy it. 
interesting fact for this podcast, Owen. Oh, well, okay, so yeah, before we move off Albania, I have to say this, that uh, Enver Hoxha um, of the People's Socialist Republic of Albania, uh, he ran the country for 40 years during their, like, their Stalinist regime. He built 700,000 bunkers, like war, uh, bomb, you know, kind of shelters or whatever, um, in the country over, the, over his 40-year period in case it ever came to war. Uh, there was one for every four... Uh, inhabitants of the country and there's 24 bunkers for every square kilometre. War never broke out. <laughs> so still do. You never know how these euros are going to go. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, this is amazing. It, it, it was called, uh, it was, it was called bunkerization. And there is now 700,000 unused bunkers, like, just sitting around Albania, everywhere. It's a pretty small country as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, tiny. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. They, they don't, there was one for every four inhabitants. That's, it's a pretty that's, poignant name as well. Yeah, so bun- bunkerization. Bunkerization is amazing. That, but, that, that, that sort of imbalance between bunkers and population sort of reminds me of what we're going to get onto next in terms of imbalance between people trying to buy tickets for this thing oh and segue. the amount oh, of people yeah. that are trying to apply for them you know and which are actually available yeah let's get into it yeah now so here wait i have an initial question about this yeah. all right because i'm led to believe that ireland are one of the very few countries that are giving off a lot of tickets to families and of the yeah. national FA and stuff like that. Can you clarify that well, a little bit? Because well, that well, sounds a bit crazy to Ireland. I like it. It is a bit. Right? Well, it doesn't sound necessarily crazy in terms of when we consider the the, the, the environment that we're living in. Um, <laughs> well, Johan <laughs> Delaney. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, essentially, you know, there's there is priorities being given to ticket holders with season ticket holders, fans direct members, uh, support club members, and the the football family. <laughs> um, now th- th- this football family I mean y- y- you talk about UEFA's football family who now UEFA do have a football family who they give I think it's like 1% 2% of tickets to overall tickets yeah. to which is fair enough you know they, they have their their allegiances that they need to come across but then you have the the FAI family which is like more like the Waltons you know I mean you have you have people coming out of war work every five seconds you have the taxi man down in Waterford mini and that sort of carry on mini blatter exactly yeah, yeah. so essentially I, th- I, I, I think the figure is around about so 55% of the tickets that are being allocated will be going to the football family wow. essentially 55% so this is you know all hearsay and stuff but this is like the roundabout figure that's, that's, that's been going through and I applied for that lottery thinking I had a good chance yeah. well the thing is like I've, I've applied for this lottery you know I've been a season digger for three years I've been to three or four away matches in the last you know same amount of time um, and I the reason I did this back three years ago because I was thinking to myself right 2016 you know, uh, it's going to be a big tournaments. We might, you know, at this stage, I had been expanded to 24 tournaments. So on, on top of just going to the games, as I always did, I said, I'll, I'll buy a season again. I'll be on record and it'll be mm. grand. So I went to Gelson Cork and away, which is amazing. You know, John O'Shea scoring the best goal. He's yeah, ever going to score. Yeah. <laughs> went to Wembley away, you know. I even went to Cologne away when we lost 2-0 uh, to Germany, which is great crack all the same. It always is great crack. Um, I love how you just pick good countries to go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> true yeah. fan, isn't we'll it? We'll see when it's Albania away and he has to shave that beard off <laughs> <laughs> you can't push the beard man um, but yeah so essentially then the rest of the tickets will will be going to supporters um, who have a track record which is you know fair enough but when you compare it to the likes of the English FA the Scottish and not the, the Welsh FA who are given like 97% of their tickets to their fans, you know, I mean, it, it is a huge thing. And then you you have on top of that, you have two hundred seventy five thousand people applying for tickets, 
or there are 275,000 applications for tickets, whichever way that works out, God only knows. But it's, it's an amazing proportion of people who are applying for it. Because if you consider Spain, who live next door to France, mm. and they're nowhere near the top five countries who are applying for it. But my, my point would be that this is like when the LCD sound system decided to come back and play gigs, and the fans that were in Madison Square Garden for the last gigs... Were, were, they were they were up in arms going, how dare you, I was at the last gig. It's like, fuck you, be happy, there's more gigs. Like, this, yeah. is, this, this is what annoys me, that it's like, I, I, I totally get, and I'm saying this as, as, as someone who, who hasn't gone to many away games, and I believe there has to be a certain amount, but this isn't, like, you didn't earn this. This is, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. something for everybody. This is for a nation to celebrate together. And just, the, like, the fact that, like, I haven't gone to away games. What if I go to this tournament and then go to every single away game after that because of it? Well, this is a, that's a very good point in terms of, like, the reason why I was so happy, well, and a couple of reasons why I was so happy that I not qualified, is because you do have your naysayers, you do have your, you know, kids who are going to Lansdowne Road to, to watch Jordan lose, you know, six one to Germany, and they'll turn to their dad and they'll say, why are we going to this? You know, they're only a six or yeah. seven year old kid going to their first match, they're like, mm. oh, this is my, this is a brutal impression. But the reason why these tournaments are so important is, is because it influences a whole new generation. Yeah. You know? Like the, the people who go to away games will go to away games. Yeah. And, and I, I think the away game thing, I mean, like that's only like a maximum of 1,000 people. They, oh, sure. they yeah, should absolutely. get sourced and, and mm. that should be the way it is. I do, I do agree. It's a, but it's the football family thing that, that annoys me that it's like, it is, it's, again, it's the corporate thing. You know, like 40% of all premiership tickets go to corporate. Yeah. That's nonsense to me. I actually do think, besides this whole football family, I, I don't think it hasn't not been handled well in terms of, I think UEFA have done exactly the way they, they should do it in terms of the, the portal is very above board. Um, you apply for it, you give your your account number for the FEI, mm. um, and you know the FEI essentially monitor who's getting tickets, which is fair enough in real terms. If, if you know whether realistically it comes true or whatever they're doing, nobody knows. The transparency is awful. But anyways, that that application portal is finished now, and then once people don't realise they have tickets. You know, mm. I mean, it's going to come into the March bit when it comes into the public portal, and the, that portal in particular is quite quite stressful. Um, I've done it a few times now. The first time I did it wasn't actually with Ireland. It was in 2006 when I went to the World Cup in Germany, and I used the the, the, the FIFA portal to try to get tickets for that. And I ended up getting five tickets. I got tickets to uh, Sweden and uh, Trinidad and Tobago. That's classic. Real. <laughs> so it's yeah, a classic yeah. toy, if ever. Uh, it was yeah. One. No, but those, those are the games <clears throat> you want to go to in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To- to- Togo, so South Korea. Uh, right. Serbia and uh, Ivory Coast, uh, but then but there's effectively all the same game with different names. Yeah, but, but then I also got I got Italy against Ghana, the first oh, the, the yeah. first game on the way to win the yeah. World Cup. You That's know, amazing, so, yeah. and I got to see like Totti three yards away from me. Yeah, but also I think the, the fact that you, like you, uh, for those games for like Togo and stuff, you'll pick a side and just go like fucking hell for leather yeah, going yeah. I support the shit out of these guys because yeah, you're drunk in a fucking <laughs> swivel stadium but, it's great but in terms of how the portal works it's essentially like it, it's, it depends on how, many, how much time you want to put into it okay so essentially if you're in work all day and you have a computer in front of you or a phone in front of you all you need to do from 9 to 5 Monday to Friday is just refresh 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 well, Gavin, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that like that is literally the best hope you getting tickets mm. if you don't if you're not successful in this round the best hope you getting tickets is going on to the portal in March just refresh refresh I, I would recommend take the, the, the first day of the portal being open off work and mm. just go hell for lead on it because cool. it's the only way you're going to get tickets it, it, it's 
it's really quite strange. Like, I, I applied Percy for um, the, the follow-year team package up to the quarterfinals. Um, so that, that entails the three group games, the last 16 and the, the quarterfinals. And that, you know, the, the one problem with the follow-year team package is if you don't get one, you don't get them all. Really? Yeah, so yeah. So you're so, all for nothing, basically. And yeah, the real yeah. problem here is okay. in Bordeaux against uh, um, Belgium, there's only 6,000 tickets available. Uh, 3,000 of them are going to the football and family. You, you, you know the word, that leads you. Do you not think that they should be uh, encouraging people to, like, getting as many people at games rather than giving people multiple games? Or do you think it's a good idea that people will be getting well, opportunities it, it dep- to go to multiple it, it, that games? That depends on how you wait for want to deal with it. I mean, like, you know, so I've, I've applied for that, but then, you know, the other person that I'm applying for, I've got him to apply for exactly the same matches, but for individual matches. So not for your team, but... Yeah. Just individual applications. So if we don't get Bordeaux, we might get Paris or whatever. Mm. You know, we, we're trying to cover all our bases essentially. I think this this comes down to like local economy stuff as well. That like if you're going to move around France for four weeks straight, um, you're putting money into the whole country, and it, it is a massive, massive business thing that. If you're going to fly over for one game and leave the country, you're mm. putting in X amount. Whereas if you're going to like have to stay somewhere for the four days in between games, you're putting more into the country. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. it is like it's absolutely a business model that if they keep you for a month, it's much better than having random person this weekend, random person yeah, yeah, Wednesday, yeah, random person this yeah, weekend. 100%. You know, yeah. um, which obviously you have to. I mean, you have like the, look. This has made waves in smaller countries it, it's built football in countries too and it's it's a really brilliant thing um and you can't take away from that but i yeah there i don't think there's a fair way to do it i don't think they'd take yeah. uh, advertisement from gazprom and coca-cola if that was <laughs> if that wasn't a major aspect in the way they uh, the way they commit business yeah. exactly exactly I, I think at the end of the day if you have so many people applying for so many tickets it's always going to be problematic and I, I do think they are doing it the best way. I just, I, I, and I also do think that if you really, really want a ticket, you'll get a ticket eventually. Mm. You know, it, it, it depends on the will and, and how, how far you want to go for it. Um, so here's hoping. I mean, I, I think the, the, the initial part of that just happened for, the, for fans of each country. People have started finding out in the next couple of weeks. There was an email sent yesterday around saying that um, expect an email for... You, you have to get your account ready. So that, there, there was a whole other scenario over they're, they're only accepting credit cards. Mm. Oh, that was, was a sponsorship thing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, so, really? yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a MasterCard. A lot of people were, 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 were applying with Visa debit cards just thinking they're the same and they won't get accepted. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So you could be successful and still be bankrupt or uh, still be rejected. Their point a bit there on, yeah. Well, no, absolutely. But I mean, that, that is kind of, that, that's almost like social profiling in a way that like we 100%. only want customers of a certain thing, which is, yeah. you know, that's yeah. dangerous territory. Um, it's a whole new ball game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a game of two halves. Yeah. Um, all, all the cliches now, go. Um, no, but um, yeah, it, it's a funny one. I think we're getting on to the point of going to France now. You know, yeah. which I think is really, really important, and, and we want to talk about France as well. Um, you're going for I, uh, yeah. So essentially, the way I'm doing it um, is I'm getting the ferry over from from uh, Ricklow over to Rosler, uh, from Rosler up to Roscoff rather, mm. and then from Roscoff I'm going to go up to Versailles and spend two nights under the stars in my tent. You know, beautiful. it's going to be absolutely beautiful. I think, I'm, I'm the, most excited. I, I think that's what the guy on the Machu Valbain video did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm most excited about the ferry over though. The ferry Just like over. Mary Antoinette. <laughs> literally going to be on top deck on the ferry bottle of champagne in hand living the absolute dream going over to France all the hope is still with, with the gods and it's going to be amazing so yeah after uh, Versailles then we're going to be in 
Paris for two nights, then going down to the the folks have a gaff down the south, just south of Montpellier. Mm. So going to stay there for a couple of days, then go up to Bordeaux. We actually found a place. Bordeaux is the most difficult place for our accommodation. We'll get into accommodation in another episode, but Bordeaux is the most difficult place for accommodation. So I'm staying just a little bit outside it, which is fine because the stadium is actually just outside the city, the city as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm staying in pretty much what is the vineyard. Yeah. Which is going to be great, Daddy. you know, because I get to drink loads of wine, which would be fantastic. <laughs> and then after that, we go back to the parents' house, and then I'm going to get a flight from Carcassonne up to Brussels, which is right beside Lille, so that's where we got to Lille. And then I think it might be Lyon where we're going to play, and then, yeah. and then we got the quarterfinals and semifinals and final, and yeah, so hooray, then I might come yeah, home. Then we yeah. win. Um, I'll, I'll probably won't have a job when I come home, but here's, here's a weird little trick, right? Um, this is, this is uh, I'm not advising anyone do this. Pause. <laughs> If you book a flight to France with Ryanair, if you book a flight and you book, you know their flexi flight? Oh, yeah. Right. So you book a flexi flight to Paris, for example, and you book it for any date. So what you do is you book it for any date. So you book it for March, whatever. You spend 150 quid each way. Like the flights to Paris currently for like the Euros are 500 return easily, right? So you book your flight for 300 quid with flexi thing, whatever. Then what you do is you change your flight to Brussels, so you can change for free with the flexi thing. So you change your flight to Brussels. Then what you do is you change the date of your flight in Brussels for free to the dates that you actually want. And then after that, what you do is you change your flights from Brussels to Paris and you get the same price. Oh. Right? <laughs> so anyone out there who hasn't booked flights yet, this is like a, 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 a travel agent told me that somebody works, I'm not going to say the company or the name, but, um, but honestly, this it is was Gazprom and Coca Cola. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give that boy a can of Coke, Jesus. But um, no, the, he basically, this is how he's done it and, and how he, he slyly told me to do it. And basically, so if you, if you want to get your flights now, they'll, they'll, you'll save only 100 quid. But as long as there is a flight available, if you, the key is you have to change the flight and then you change the date, then you change the venue again. Oh, and you do God. it three times and you will, you will get flights for less than you would pay. That's my tip of the week. Yeah, I think it's a strange enough like, scenario that we find ourselves in in terms of the geography of where we are in France, you know, Paris... Lille and Bordeaux it's a logistical nightmare mm. like it is definitely logistically the, the worst uh, draw we could have gotten mm. but you know I, I was actually hoping that tickets wise that would actually discourage people from going to Bordeaux and stuff but <laughs> that's definitely not happening um, mm. but yeah we'll see how it goes I, I think yeah so the, the dates to keep in mind there the next couple of weeks people who applied for the fan portal they'll be finding that out and then once that finishes if you didn't get tickets March portals is where it's going to be other than that you're relying on taxi drivers in Waterford mm, absolutely <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That, no, we're going to our next song before we yeah. go to our final part um, you know we're going to go for a classic here I think this is a yeah, needs this no could origin. be anything needs now, no on, your, on your previous um. <laughs>
That was indeed Music Sounds Better With You from none other than Thomas Bangalter and Alec Brax, i.e. Stardust. Mm. Probably the best song of all time. Yeah. And uh, it does get me in the mood for summer, which this podcast entails to do. Um, we're going to move on to the, the, the final segment in terms of geography, and we're going to look into d- different cities around France and where better off to start than Paris, a uh, place that I think the three of us have all been. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was only there... Once with a, a girlfriend, that typical Ew. romantic holiday. There's going to be a lot more romance going on this June, to be honest with you. So, yeah. So, both of you, I've quite, you've been there a few times. Yeah. You, yeah, you were saying only you, you were a girlfriend that was from there. And, sort of. Yeah, um, yeah no, no, I was, I was there a lot when I was a kid, and then um, I, was, I was seeing a uh, Parisian for a while, and ended up going over three or four times in the space of a couple of years. And getting to know the city really well, like I think the best the best way to to know anywhere is to know someone from there. Yeah, my sister lived there for five years, so I went over quite a bit. And we we actually she lived in uh, in Clichy, which is in the north of the city, Mm. and that's how I got such a good hotel for the for. for June, so essentially, yeah. So I was staying in Versailles for two nights in camp and beforehand, but then I was staying in a hotel called Hotel El Dorado. Ooh. Yeah, sounds pretty Ooh. sweet. Doesn't it? <laughs> uh, it's only like hundred quid for two nights as well, which is pretty for sweet. Paris, and it's it's, it's, it's above a bar called Lush Bar, which is an absolutely sweet vibe in in Clichy in the seventeenth or the something. Mm. And um, 
it's yeah, it's it's it's, it's probably the, the most ideal place to stay in for for the matches. Considering it's right beside Plasticici, which is where mm-hmm. you know you have the Irish bars, you have Corcoran's, um, and you have uh, O'Sullivan's, and then you have right beside O'Sullivan's the Milan Rouge, yeah. and unfortunately the red light district are all around there as well. But you know whatever the people are into, and whatever <laughs> they, that, that might, might happen on the, the night of the. Fourteenth, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you can't get Shane Long, then you know there's yeah, a good yeah, alternative yeah. in the red light yeah. issue. Plastic Leash is amazing, though. It's, it's a brilliant hub to to work from because yeah. um, it's an amazing uh, metro stop and train station. It's, that, it's, like. it's literally the most ideal metro stop going up to Santony. I find it interesting. Yeah. I think it, m- it might be one of the first cities or uh, within European Championship history to have two stadiums. Oh. Because they have not only to have the Stade de France up in Santony, but they have uh, Parc de France where PSG London play. in ninety six. Did they? They would they have, have anywhere else besides the Wembley. They would have. I assume they would have had maybe Highbury. They definitely didn't have Highbury. No, Highbury was tiny. Wasn't yeah, it? That's, Highbury was well, tiny. Third, yeah, thirty odd. That's the problem with London. I think, I think, I think if they're if they're the house up now, they'd have the Emirates. But Highbury was tiny. And the Olympic thing. Stadium and Olympic yeah, no, that's, stadium, that's a good yeah. point actually. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, they were all very small for a while. Yeah, yeah so it's it's interesting to see how that's going to work. The Parc des Princes. I've I've been to matches in both. I went to see PSG against Cannes in two thousand. And six, I believe it was, and it was actually a very strange culture over there in terms of PSG at the time. It doesn't exist anymore because all the big wigs came in and bought them over. But there was two sets of vultures for PSG, uh, bought the Bologna and the, the Northern Group as well. And like they they were finding there was a riot going on when he went to, it. and I was like, Dad, Dad what, what, what are they finding? And he goes, I don't know. It's usually the other teams that fight each other, but they seem to be fighting each other. I was like, oh, All right, Delhi. Oh, so that was that. They're they're all banned now, unfortunately. Yeah, but, yeah it's um, quite a. Very dull atmosphere now at it's PSG awesome. home yeah, games, yeah, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. But that's because that's been eradicated completely. You yeah. Know? Um, not that I condone violence, but you know, for it's, good reason yeah. too. I yeah, mean, 100%. not not to to say like, oh, I lament the days, you know, because we can't have fights. Like it's <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Um, it's just the fact that the corporates are weird. Yeah. So uh, you have your, your two stadiums um, in Saint Germain uh, is where the PSG stadium is, which is in the west of the city. And then I, I, I'm really looking forward to this because obviously I've been to you know Paris quite a few times, so I, I don't feel any particular need to go to the usual spots like you know the Eiffel Tower, the, the Louvre, the Dorsey, all this well, stuff. I, I, I will say that like in terms of like if you're if you're in um, Paris, that uh, so have a few days. It, it is one of the most beautiful cities in the the whole world. Mm-hmm. Like all the way down the Rive Gauche, it's just this amazing melting pot of of art and culture. Um, I don't think there's a better way to celebrate beating Sweden than walking down the Seine and <laughs> yeah. you know arm in arm with whatever happened the night before and just, <laughs> <laughs> well, the classic I mean because that poor poor red light district yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because they have no bottle tax and they make all their own wine you will find a bottle of wine for five euro which is sensational yeah, and yeah. you can literally just sit in the banks of the Seine because they're like drinking the street it's wonderful um, also inter- just to get in two of my favourite clubs in the world oh, uh, Club Rex Theatre Rex yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I we didn't even speak to oh man I I spent, I spent my twenty first birth twenty fourth birthday in Club Rex. Um, even the Smag was oh, doing no. his, his yeah, night, yeah. which was or even Smag even, um, which was just sensational. And La Flesh d'Or is another one, the, yeah, the Golden yeah, Arrow. Yeah. Um, just two of like the the clubs that started the music we love, and they're just amazing places. I think I think as well, especially being at the start of the journey, the start of the trip. Like we're gonna have the most energy, and you know, mm. even even the night before on the on the twelfth, I think we're all gonna be obviously out in town, and we're gonna be drinking in the streets. But like, there's definitely gonna be a lot of that stuff yeah. going on as well, because in Bordeaux and Lille, I mean, it's gonna be. 
it's, they're not exactly the most happening of places, you know. So mm. I think we, people might as well take advantage of clubs like that while, while we have the chance. I think, yeah, in the, in the outside of Paris, you'll find like great bars to have fun yeah, exactly, till yeah. whatever time. But if you want to be out till the next day, yeah. like Rex and Flesh stores where you want to go, it's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, regarding restaurants and things like that, I'm mm. assuming a lot of people like did make connotations with, with Field of Paris. So we just have any suggestions around. What would would you recommend for that? Well, to be honest, I mean, the the classic thing is find where the locals go. I mean, you can spend whatever you want in Paris. Um, There's there's Michelin star restaurants in every corner, which, Mm. you know, you'll pay the money for. But uh, if you find, like, local restaurants, if they're full of locals, they have good food. Like, the locals are very discerning. So if they look full, they're good, basically. Um, The tourist spots will be full of tourists, funnily enough. But, you know, (laughs) it's that classic thing that, like, just just find somewhere where you can hear and see French people, man. And, and th- it'll be good. I think the best thing to do in France in, ter- in general in terms of food is, obviously, if you're going over for three weeks, you know, you're not going to be onto restaurants. Obviously, the, more, the odd time you might go over for, for a bit of lunch or, bit, you know, something nice just to treat yourself. But realistically, your your best option is to go to supermarkets, get a roll, get get real nice deli stuff. Mm. You know, the cheese obviously is amazing over in France. You know, get yourself through the day with that sort of carry on. Yeah, um, for sure, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, just stay away from really dodgy places. What a, what a, one thing I absolutely adore about France as a, as a whole, it's one of my favourite things, is that every shop does one thing and does it brilliantly. So you have the bakery, which does the best fucking bread in the world. You have the, you know, the butchers, which does the best meat in the world. You have the cheese shop. So it's, it's you know, as, as, as Gavin says, it's about kind of finding and amalgamating all these things. It's not like, you you know, you can go to Carrefour, you can go to the supermarkets, but mm. if you find, like, you will get the cheapest, best bread you've ever had. Especially, like going you, know, to the, yeah. The, yeah. you know, just go to the bread man. Like, yeah. Especially in a place like Leash, like when I lived mm. there, I actually went to this Indian that was the I, it was the best Indian I've ever, ever been to. It was a friend of mine, uh, Vinny, who used to live with my sister. I used to be greedy with friends when my sister lived there. And he was, it was the first uh, Indian that was actually Mission Stars. Mm. Um, wow. And it was, you know, wow. down the side street. You know, yeah. so you know, it's the usual type of big city advice. Go down the side streets, yeah. look for, and do do your research. Yeah. Um, um, I, was in, I was in Carcassonne last year and the there's this amazing, uh, it was a Michelin star restaurant that had, I think the, the, the three course lunch was like 28 euro with wine, which like for Michelin star food, like it would be twice, three times that here. So, I mean, if you find those places, you will experience amazing food for a fraction of what you would pay. So like definitely, I mean, if you want to splash out, please do. You know, it's amazing shit. So absolutely do your research, essentially. Yeah, yeah, totally, what, what, yeah. what would you be your top tip for Paris? Um, for Paris? See, like, there's nothing major, but something No, but small. I think my thing always, getting to know the place, was, like, get to know the metro, you'll be fine. Yeah. Like, once you know the metro, once once you just realise the system, it's, I mean... It's London, so good as well over there. It's, it's so, so good. good. And yeah. you, you, you can see so many things in one day, but, like, all around, like, Hotel de Ville and uh, Georges Pompidou Centre, is it's bang in the centre. If you basically, like, use, like, go go there in the morning and you'll see, like, the Georges Pompidou and, like, Hotel de Ville is their house of parliament, but it's so beautiful. And just use that as your kind of, your, your centre point and just walk around it. And yeah. it's just amazing. Walk the sea. Yeah, walk, walk the sea. Big time. The best way, best yeah. way to do it. Um, I I'd actually say one of my favorite things. I always come back to, and you you'd love it, Paul. Is uh, there's a, a bookshop called uh, Shakespeare and Co. Just beside oh, yeah. that. Oh, oh my famous. god! Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's on Rue de Boucherie, uh, mm. just off uh, the Ile de France, and um, oh, it's it's incredible. Yeah. It's absolutely 
And you could spend the, days the, there. The youngest that worked here, lads. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only messing. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. Um, yeah, so I think that wraps that up before we go into our uh, last song and at the end of the episode. Thanks mm-hmm. for listening. And um, next week, next in two weeks, we'll be arriving back again with the second episode and it will feature Switzerland and Romania. And we will be doing a piece on travel around France. Woohoo! Which is the best crack because you get yeah. to drink during the travel. So. <laughs> yeah. This track's called uh, Thank You, Mon. Uh, it's by Sancho Man, which is also in Paris. And uh, thanks, Win. Thanks uh, to Owen and Paul for, and thank for you. being fantastic guests. Yeah.